0: If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work
1: markets and business are one of the most powerful institutions we've ever invented and they can be a real catalyst for change and a real catalyst for innovation and so there really is an opportunity if we can unlock that power to invent the future that we need.
0: Seeing that a lot of our environmental, social, and public health issues today are driven by irresponsible business practices, how can we turn this around so that we can collectively use the power of business for good? In spite of knowing what we need to preserve our clean water, clean air, biodiversity, and healthy ecosystems, Why is it that we still have resistance against these fundamental shared human needs? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already signed up to our podcast's weekly highlights, just a quick reminder that you can do so at greendreamer.com. The next one is going out this Sunday, so I look forward to connecting with you there. And now to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the co-author of Can Business Save the Earth?, He's also Talo Murphy Professor of Business Administration and Senior Associate Dean and Chief Strategy Officer at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. His work has been cited by the New York Times, the Financial Times, The Economist, etc. And in 2009, he was recognized as a faculty pioneer by the Aspen Institute and is the top strategy professor under 40 by the Strategic Management Society. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because our guest's has done extensive research at the intersection of business, policy, and sustainability. So he's really got a bird's-eye view of what we need to work towards a thriving planet from all different angles. Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired his passion for the environment, here's Professor Michael Lennox.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a passion of mine that really goes back to even my childhood. Um, growing up, I spent a lot of time at the, at the beach and, and going outdoors and hiking and the like. When I was a, a college student, I um, was involved with our outdoor program and, and led trips in various uh, places around uh, Virginia, North Carolina. And, and even doing my undergraduate studies, I started working with something called the Center for Risk Analysis that did work on environmental risk um, out of the engineering school. Uh, so it really has been a passion of mine Uh, going back a long time in an area. I've been doing work for 25 plus years.
0: Mm. And what was it ultimately that led you to dedicating your career to this?
1: You know, um, I I think in terms of the, um, the, the challenges that sustainability, environmental challenges pose for us, I think part of it's just being a lover of nature and, and loving being outdoors uh, and appreciating that. Um but I also think there's a little bit of the kind of the engineer in me, uh, did my undergraduate in engineering that um sees it as a problem that needs solving and 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 one that kind of on an intellectual basis has always kind of challenged me to think about all right, how, how can we best address these issues we're facing?
0: Yeah. So once you know a problem, it's kind of hard to not know it anymore.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. So you've done a lot of research at the intersection of business, policy and sustainability. Knowing everything that you know now, what's been your greatest frustration uh, with our current ways of going about environmentalism?
1: Yeah. I, I, I have two thoughts on that. One, you know, it was a really a big aha for me probably about a decade or so ago when I when I first came here to the University of Virginia uh, and I was running something called the Bann Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. And so I had long been interested in the topics of entrepreneurship and innovation and I'd long been interested in doing work around corporate sustainability. And it, it took me a long time to really connect the two in a, in a meaningful way. And, and the way I've always expressed this is there's so much work around kind of business and sustainability about how do we get these kind of large incumbent companies to change their behavior to use my economics terms you know internalize these negative externalities that that they've created and the big aha was to say wait a minute i think we be thinking about this problem wrong because what we know about entrepreneurship and innovation is that it can often be disruptive, disruptive, and that the current status quo gets uh, replaced by the, the new entrants, the new entrepreneurs, the new ideas, the new technology, um, and, and that's really the the impetus behind the book and really my work the last ten years was thinking more systematically. It's not about how do we change individual firm behavior, but it's actually about how do we generate more innovation in the economic system to be able to get uh, the, the technologies that we want. And if that means some of these large incumbent firms go out of business, uh, you know, so be it that that's what's going to need to happen.
0: Yeah. So what's something about inspiring systemic change through business you feel like most people don't understand?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think and we talk about this in the book that, you know, there's obviously a perspective that given the question we ask in Business Save the Earth, they would think, you know, this is a nonsensical question. Of course, business is the problem here. It's not the solution. Um, But I actually believe very strongly that and and one of the reasons I became a business school professor ultimately was that, you know, markets and business are one of the most powerful institutions we've ever invented. And they can be a real catalyst for change and a real catalyst for innovation. And so there really is an opportunity if we can unlock that power to invent the future that that we need. And so I think again, understanding how you can leverage markets and leverage business to um, to to have these positive societal outcomes I think is a really important part of the the story we're trying to tell.
0: Mm-hmm. So sometimes business itself can be seen as a bad guy in this picture, but really when we align the incentives correctly, it can be really powerful in terms of driving positive change.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. And from your research over the years, what's something that you changed your mind about in terms of how you see sustainability solutions?
1: When I think you asked before, and it actually relates to a question you asked before about even like what what's wrong with like current environmental thinking and the like. And one thing that I worry about is there's such an emphasis when it comes to climate change on putting a price on carbon. And and I'm very supportive of that. Don't get me wrong. But it, it almost sounds like a one trick pony. Like, you know, if we do that, then everything will be solved. Well, the markets will react and, and off we go. Oh. In the book, we talk quite a bit about uh, the demand side and the supply side of innovation. So uh, uh, putting a price on carbon is a demand side solution here. Uh, And that can be really critical. But there's a lot we also know about innovation, about the supply side, you know, supporting R&D. How do we fund our universities who are doing some of the interesting innovations? How do we empower entrepreneurs so they can scale their businesses and succeed? Those are also critical issues. And ones that I find in a lot of at least environmental policy debates don't get as much attention as they should. So to be really provocative, you know, uh, I've said uh, that when you think about the Trump administration pulling out of the Paris Accord, or at least expressing their interest to do so, maybe far more damning to our prospects for addressing climate change would be the efforts to defund the Department of Energy's uh, research in renewable energy and alternative uh, clean technologies. So this idea that, you know, we have to be thinking about this broader innovation ecosystem and how we have levers to drive that forward, because we need really substantial changes if we're going to really uh, address something like climate change.
0: For sure, and I definitely want to dive deeper into your book shortly, because I know you cover so much in there. But before we dive into that, you've been named the top strategy professor under 40 by the Strategic (coughs) Management Society, and a lot of us are entrepreneurs and creatives focused on sustainability, and business strategy is often a big challenge for us. So what are some of your top pieces of guidance um, for us in terms of what we need to help our sustainability-driven businesses and ventures thrive today?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the first message would be you you do need a strategy. And I I think sometimes, especially kind of the Silicon Valley ethos of entrepreneurship, there's this notion of, um, you know, we we don't need a strategy. We're just going to figure things out as we go. (laughs) But I do think strategy is very important. Uh, It doesn't mean that you have to stick to your strategy. What it means is you have to have some vision of where you're trying to go, what you're trying to achieve, what's your business model, right? How are you going to find resources to support and grow the business that you have? Now, you might very well pivot from that. You might very well learn and and have to adjust what you're doing. But it's a good idea to always have a vision of, of what that might look like. And And so I think for you know those starting uh, sustainable uh, enterprises, sustainable businesses, you know again, understanding what's the objective, how are we going to get there, or how do we scale? Those are critical even in the earliest stages of, of starting that business.
0: Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people start projects just purely out of passion for the environment, but it's really key to have this vision in place before diving in.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and you. And again, I keep coming back to like the business model. You know, how are you going to support your your growth, uh, and, and and where is that going to come from? And, and understanding that pitch, um, I think, is really critical.
0: Mm-hmm. So now, going into your book, it's called "Can Business Save the Earth." It was published in May. What motivated you to write this book?
1: Yeah, for for me, you know, I've been doing work in this space broadly for about twenty five years, and uh, uh, have written primarily for academic audiences. And and this was really an attempt to say, all right, let's take some of this accumulated knowledge, not only that I have done through research, but others as well, and put it in a book that really frames it for a broader public audience with a specific lens on, on the innovation question. Again, I think it's easy for people to get disheartened, especially in the current political environment. But if there's anything, the book is about how the system as a whole and and all the stakeholders in that have a role to play here and that there's lots of levers that we can be pulling to try to move this innovation ecosystem towards sustainable technologies. And and so we're hopeful that the book at the end of the day is actually inspirational and and, and really provides some suggestions for all types of people to have uh, important roles to play uh, in this journey.
0: Yeah, so I feel like individually when people are just within their own Hubs, they're very focused on solutions that they can take, but the book really takes a holistic approach and ties everything together and says that everything is important.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, and we take on some of the old uh, imagery of like, you know, two people in their garage inventing the future, you know, independently and on their own. And, and while that's very uh, romantic, um, I think at the end of the day, what we find is that even uh, the most successful entrepreneurs, you know, they need they need support. They need support from investors. They need customers. They need other institutional players who are going to ultimately help them be successful.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you were pulling all of these pieces together, what was the biggest light bulb moment you had during this writing process?
1: I think, you know, as we start to build out some of the examples that are included in the book, it really, you know, one level – Gives you, gives you hope because there is so much uh, energy out there and interest and and uh, interesting ventures being started and interesting technologies coming about. I think, you know, broadly aware of a lot of them, but just as we dove a little deeper, it was, it was great to see.
0: And so you mentioned this earlier, but a key message from the book is that relying on market demands for sustainability alone isn't enough. Can you walk us through the thought process behind this and like, what do we really need to emphasize.
1: Yeah, again, I think um, I'm not saying that the demand side of the equation isn't important. It's it's absolutely critical. It's just that it's one of many levers that are available to us. Um, so we need to think about things like perhaps patent policy. Do we give longer patent protection for sustainable technologies? We need to think about investment in R&D, uh, again, either at the university level or through our national labs. We need to think about how to empower entrepreneurs. Um be it through uh, the creation of incubators and, and networks of support, be it through uh, financing that you know venture capitalists and others provide. Um, we talk in one of the chapters about investing and how there's been a flourishing of kind of innovation in the investing side around green bonds and crowdfunding and the like. These are all important um you know, additions to the, the to the toolkit, if you will, for trying to advance sustainable technologies. So, in some ways, it's, it's just about broadening our aperture from again what sometimes feels to me in the environmental policy debates about simply you know a carbon tax versus a cap and trade system in in uh, uh, for greenhouse gas emissions. Um, there's a lot more that can be done uh, that we should be actively pursuing.
0: For sure, and when we think about consumer awareness, change within businesses, and change in policy. Do you think there's one that has to come first in order for the others to be able to happen, or they just all have to happen?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's kind of the all have to happen. But I also think, you know, it, it, it's a little unwieldy, right? We, we all want the um, silver bullet that's going to solve the problem. And, and the fact is, The system and and by the system, I mean, broadly defined not only as the the market system, but also the broader social, cultural, policy, political system is also evolving along as well. And so what we do is we we, we try to influence that. We try to catalyze it by pulling these levers Um, so it doesn't necessarily have the, the appeal of a direct. You know, we do X and we'll solve the problem. Um, but I think that's how we ultimately make progress on these issues is by everyone kind of doing their their the things that they can do to try to move that system forward. Um, so I don't think it necessarily requires a certain staging, but it clearly, you know, more is better.
0: Yeah. So like you mentioned, we really need dramatic innovation across multiple sectors at the same time. It has to include everybody, inventors, executives, customers, investors, activists, and governments. Everybody has a key role. Uh, what do you think it'll take to align everybody's interests so that this all happens at the same time?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that's an opportunity, especially here in the United States, that we that is surprising to me about some of the discussions is um, you can call it maybe the politicization of technology that, you know, solar uh, panels are a liberal technology. I mean, technology is agnostic to political leanings. And another way to talk about some of this is just simply in terms of economic development and job creation. And and that's why I'm always shocked by some of the the actions being taken now to kind of prop up certain industries versus others. Um, maybe it's coal, you know, uh, and and the attempts to do that by the Trump administration. It, it, it's it's a little surprising. It's a little bit like, I like to say, you know, trying to save the new Nantucket whaling industry in 1860 after oil has been discovered in western Pennsylvania and kerosene has come onto the market to, to replace whale oil. It, it, we, we have trends taking place now that have a lot of momentum behind them that I think will continue, including, you know, adoption of renewable energy, including adoption of electric vehicles. You know, wouldn't we want to be on that wave? Uh, wouldn't we want to be trying to invent the future and be part of the new technologies? You know, if you don't care about the environment, at least you should care about economic development and job creation. And and I, I think that message needs to get out, get out there more. Uh, these are really interesting changes happening in a variety of different markets now.
0: Yeah. And why do you think these are still happening, given that we know generally what a healthier future looks like? There's still these things happening that's slowing us down.
1: Well, I think you know we shouldn 't underestimate the uh, the individual implications of disruption and technology, and so that does create winners and losers if you are from you know, West Virginia and your job and your career and your livelihood has been built around the coal industry yeah this is this is disruptive to you and it 's disruptive to your community and, and i don't think we should undersell that and under, you know we, we need to understand that we recently did a uh, an effort called the Jefferson Innovation Summit where we brought together 50 delegates from all walks of life to talk about you know what are some of the big initiatives that could be done to advance sustainable technologies and one of the insights from that effort that we just published in a policy playbook was we need to have a job creation program. We need to actually look at these regions that are are losing out and say, all right, how can we make you part of this, this conversation of the new technologies, the transformation we have?
0: Mm-hmm. So instead of disrupting the entire industry and just leaving these people off to do their own thing, it's about helping them transition as well.
1: Exactly. You know, how can you know the advent and the advances in the solar industry be viewed as a positive in in coal country, right? As a as an opportunity for reinvention and job creation and economic growth.
0: Yeah, and I feel like when we talk about systemic change to an individual it feels like a really massive and hard to comprehend concept. What do you think we can do as individuals to support these big changes?
1: Yeah, we talk about this at the, in the book, and I think a lot of it has to do with what, what role you do play. You know, what type of stakeholder you are. Um, as a consumer, of course, there's a lot you can do in terms of your, your purchasing behavior, your um, um, the choices you make at the at the you know the grocery store or the the, the aisle. Clearly, for those who have the entrepreneurial blog, you know, get going, go go, start your business. Get, um, You know, in some ways, entrepreneurship is a uh, is a more shots on goal type of strategy. We know most entrepreneurs end up failing. And so the more uh, effort we can have, the, the more likelihood that we'll have successful technologies and successful businesses. And I can keep going down the list, you know, as an investor, if you have money held in a uh, retirement account, uh, you know, where do you invest that? Everybody, again, has a, has a different To play.
0: Yeah. And going back to the people who are more entrepreneurial in this space, a large percentage of entrepreneurs do end up failing, like you said. What are some common mistakes from sustainability focused entrepreneurs you see that you feel like holds them back from thriving?
1: Um, I think, you know, one thing to think about is there are clearly business opportunities to sell products that are uh, in a sustainable uh, niche, if you will, you know, so that there are customers out there who want green, green products and are willing to pay a premium for them. And that, and that's great. And we tell those stories of, you know, places like Ben and Jerry's and the body shop and the like, but I, I think there's other opportunities available as well. You look at someone like Tesla, Tesla, I think had the keen insight that there's a market out there for luxury vehicles that. Are just cool. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the green piece of it that's actually selling the car. It's actually some of the performance advantages of electric vehicles. And again, just the, the design and styling that they had. When I think about like solar and renewables, you know, those are going to take off when they're the low cost technology, right? It is not because people are going to suddenly want to purchase green electricity, necessarily, just because it will become the low cost technology. So there are definitely opportunities to leverage that kind of you know, green consumerism. Um, but wow, there's lots of other opportunities to create green technologies and make them flourish that don't rely on the green purchasing uh, piece of it.
0: For sure. So like for these things, just attracting consumers to the inherent parts of the product and not the green part of the product has been key.
1: Yeah, and I think you know one of the other things we talk about is in some cases this might require business model innovation. You know, we could we could argue the uh, the environmental benefits of like an Uber and the like, but you know clearly Uber has changed people's purchasing and and utilization of of, of excuse me of vehicles um, that could have some environmental benefits if it reduces car consumption and the like, and that was driven by again a, a new business model that was you know leveraging mobile technology.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, can you share some of your ideas on some things that you feel like have a lot of potential for sustainability driven entrepreneurs right now, like something that you feel like should exist but doesn't or just
1: opportunities you see? what you, we uh an additional work that I've been doing this past year we um have a series of reports that we've done called the path to 2060 recognizing that if we're really going to keep uh the Paris accords and 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 hit the target of 2 degrees Celsius or less for global warming we're gonna to need to basically decarbonize economic activity by 2060. So it's a very tall order. So what we've been doing is going through different industry sectors and looking at what's, what's the likelihood of that occurring given current trends. So we've looked at electric vehicles, we've looked at renewable energy, we're doing one now on industrials like steel and cement. And so when I look at some of these industries, let's take renewables i'm very optimistic that we're going to get solar technology down to being cost competitive and even lower cost than than fossil fuel alternatives but there's other challenges like storage technology smart grid uh, those are areas we need. We need further innovation. And I think the storage also applies to vehicles. Electric vehicles are coming down in price. Storage is coming down, and batteries are coming down in price. But we're going to really need to drive that a little further if we're going to get to a point where I think we'll hit a tipping point where electric vehicles will be effectively a low-cost option uh, for consumers.
0: Mm-hmm. So we'll definitely dig deeper into that because that sounds like it has a lot of potential to be tapped into. And for you looking back at everything that you've done over the past years, what are you most proud of having accomplished with your research and work?
1: You know, it's interesting. I did a uh, study years ago looking at the uh, responsible care program out of the chemical industry with my colleague Andy King. And uh, one of my proudest moments as a researcher was the fact that the American Chemistry Council, who had sponsored responsible care, read our research, took it to heart, and because it was somewhat critical of what they were doing, and actually changed their their program. So, it was, it was nice as a researcher to see such a direct impact from the work we did to uh, the behavior of some... Uh, some corporations there. But I think, you know, more, uh, maybe more to the point, you know, as a, as a teacher, as an addition to a researcher, just being able to share these thoughts with my students and, and hopefully inspiring them is, uh, is, is heartening to me.
0: Yeah. And what do you think it takes to really inspire people to take this piece of knowledge and to really apply it in their own lives and take it elsewhere?
1: Well, I think again, it can be it can be rather uh, overwhelming, right? When we look out at the world and look at the scope of the challenges we're facing, it can be probably very easy to get depressed. Um, At the same time, you know, I I do have hope, and I do you know believe in the power of of our ability to have ingenuity and to invent the invent the future, and that to me is kind of, if anything, again the kind of the main message of the the book here. We're not Pollyanna about it. You know, we're not saying like just stand back. This is going to happen and we're going to invent these sustainable technologies, again, it recognizes that those emerge of a broader system and we can influence how that system impacts it. Um, but again, I, I ultimately, you know, choose optimism over defeat here.
0: For sure. I'm the same way. <laughs> um, so what's next for you that we can look forward to and support?
1: Well, I'm continuing to to do this work uh, as I mentioned, the path to 2060 work. So we have a report coming out uh, hopefully in the next couple of months. Again, looking at industrials and the potential of decarbonizing them, and we're going to do it. The uh, next one will be on agriculture. Uh, so continue to do some of the, uh, that research, uh, and I also do work uh, on um, entrepreneurial ecosystems, and and uh, so some of that work I'm continuing to work on, and it actually interfaces nicely with the work I've done on uh, sustainability.
0: For sure. Well, I learned so much just from this conversation. I feel like your work really stands out to me because it really ties everything together. It also goes deep into each part of these equations. So it makes it feel like everybody has a role and I feel like it really has a potential to activate everybody in society. So I'm really excited and I feel like we'll just have to learn more from the book itself. And so where can we buy the book and follow your work online?
1: So the book is published by Stanford University Press, and so you can find that available. And the book you can find available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of your, your online providers. Um, and I'd also encourage you to go to uh, the Baden Institute website here at the University of Virginia, and there you can find our initiative. We have an initiative on business innovation and climate change, where a lot of these reports I'm mentioning are uh, are available.
0: Before we go into our final five, I just wanted to thank you for tuning in. You know, being aware of all the issues that we have today can be really overwhelming. A lot of them are also really deep-rooted and systemic, not fully in our direct control. And that can also make us feel helpless. But I want to acknowledge you for having the heart to care, for having this desire to take action to help us work towards a healthier planet for everybody. With every little thing that you do today with intention, you are making a difference. So just keep at it. Keep sharing what you're learning with people around you. Feel welcome to share this episode and the podcast, of course, and I look forward to continually learning with you and supporting you with Green Dreamer Podcast. And for now, on to our final five. Let's power through. What's one inspiring publication or social media account you follow?
1: Uh, I really enjoy MIT's technology review.
0: What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired?
1: You know, I think as a father of of two kids, you know, that that gives me always, you know, that hope for the future. And so I I look to them when I want to be inspired. Mm
0: -hmm. What's one must do for your health, either daily or weekly?
1: Uh, For me, work out. I I, I try to be very religious about, you know, working out every day.
0: Mm -hmm. What's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week?
1: Uh, I did this on another podcast, but, you know, eat less beef. Uh, Beef is actually a big carbon emitter there. Uh, So that's something you could do.
0: Uh, What makes you most hopeful for our planet right now?
1: Again, I think it's the ingenuity. And um, and and I see that every day in my students. And so uh, it's very inspiring to see how passionate they are about some of these issues and how they're putting it to work through, you know, the creation of new ventures and new technologies. That's that's really exciting to me.
0: And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers?
1: I think, again, you know, don't don't get overwhelmed uh, with the scope of the problems we face. It's going to take a concerted effort by a lot of different people and, and you know, get going on what you're doing and, uh, and, and and, you know, you're helping and keep moving along.
0: Get going and keep moving along. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview in the show notes at greendreamer.com. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. That's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E, where I'll continually be sharing more eco and wellness tips that might be helpful to you, what I learn along the way, and regular reminders to recenter because we need you to be in your optimal well-being and bring about your best work. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.